Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the next episode of our Credit Crunch podcast part of the FIC Focus stream. This is Mahesh Bhimalingam, uh, Chief European Credit Strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence. So today we have a very interesting topic, uh, which we haven't covered in depth. And I think it is going to be in vogue in the next few years, which is sustainable investing and ESG in credit. So to talk about it, explain to all of us, uh, we, today we have a guest who is an expert in this field, Mitch Resnick, Head of Sustainable Fixed Income at Federated Hermes Limited. Mitch has been a client of mine all through my career from, you know, Barclays, Deutsche Bank and BNP Paribas when I was on the sell side. And we are very glad to have him uh, today on our podcast. Welcome, Mitch. Thanks, Mahesh. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And as, as they say on um, call and radio sh shows, uh, First time, you know, long time listener, first time caller. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Our pleasure. So today we delve deep into the world of sustainable investing and how it maps onto credit. Now, even for a experienced practitioner like me, this is still a relatively new field. I am myself baffled with the different shades of indices and funds. How are they different? How are they similar? And so today it's going to be a learning exercise not just for all of you listeners, but also for me. So let's discuss the different types of these investments. So ESG, I mean, I think many people think they know about it, but I don't think they do. So let's start with the very basics like ESG. What is it and why do we care? Right. So I think you're absolutely right. Let's start with definitions and understandings. And I think that'll clarify for you the context that I'm coming from because there is it's quite a panacea and there are multiple understandings but I, I think of ESG integration and sustainability in in shall we say two separate classes so let's start with ESG environmental social and governance and this type of investing is um, folding into your analysis these non-fundamental factors and uh, particularly focusing on them. And you know why do we care is because of these non-fundamental factors can have an effect on cash flows. And cash flows have a direct relationship to enterprise value and therefore credit risk. When you think about um, you know, loan to value ratios, this, uh, this kind of thing, it's certainly straight out cash flow and this is clearly important for credit. But ESG doesn't change the overall investment objective uh, of a strategy. It's just, it's additional information. And actually, I think that the ESG approach is particularly well-suited to credit because unlike equities, where you have one security, you can overweight or underweight a security, focusing on ESG allows you to create some precision in your assessment of risk. And in credit, we have more precision of how we want to allocate that risk, right? We've got capital structure, senior sub. We've got term structure, front end versus long end. Uh, and we've got security selection. So, you know, it's it, for me, credit, um, it speaks directly to the fundamentals of credit and also how you want to allocate risk. So for the benefit of our listeners, when Mitch says non-fundamental, he essentially means non-financial fundamentals. So 
ESG is also sort of another type of fundamentals which sits on top of the financial fundamentals. Yes, I was several years ago I once said non-financial uh, referring to ESG and I got scolded because it turns out they have a financial effect. Yes, you're right to separate that from say operating risk and financial risk Correct. and this third level uh, risk which we call ESG risk. Now, then how is ESG different from sustainability? What is sustainability and how is it different and how do you blend these two together? Okay, so I would say that sustainability is a natural extension of ESG. In ESG, we look at how these non-fundamental factors, think about environmental and social, affect a company's credit risk, and then we want to price it. Sustainability is an extension of that. We kind of reverse the flow. So we, we, what we're trying to assess is to what extent a company is affecting environmental and social factors out there. So it's it's you know the environmental social factors come in we assess that to to analyze the company but sustainability is beyond that and to understand how it's affecting the world out there hmm. and uh, do do they have a short term versus a long term aspect to it do, does sustainability involve long term sustainability of that company's operational aspects yes, and I, its impact on the world yes i think that um you know you know, when, if you look at sustainable implementation of sustainability for, for companies, you know, we're really in the early innings here. We're really getting started. And whereas some co companies have been at the vanguard for a while, some of this takes quite a lot of time. And you can imagine a company that sets certain sustainability targets, whether they're, um, you know, biodiversity related, say, you know, for reforestation or um, for decarbonization, implementing now um, you know, it may take a while to take effect. Having said that, if you think about how things are moving in the packaging sector and circular economy, that can move relatively quickly. So, if so, that's on the company side. Let's move. Let's map it onto the investor side. So, then, what is sustainable investing? Sustainable slash ESG investing. What does an investor who is in the sustainable investment field want, and how is it different? from the mainstream investor. Okay, so the mainstream objective uh, mainstream investor is um, looking for one objective, you know, one objective is you know make money Returns. avoid loss. Yes, the make Returns. money. Uh, the sustainability investor is actually looking to layer on top of that an additional objective. Effectively, you know, do good, right? So do well, do good. So um, but but the sustainability investor is obviously clearly interested in returns and they believe that 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 do good aspect is actually self-reinforcing to um, the performance side of that as well. But you know, sustainability strategies have that additional objective. So these are investors that you know see that there are um, you know these environmental and social social risks in the world. It's all very visceral, right? You can you know see the effects of climate change. Uh, it's now uh, everywhere in front of us, and they want to do something about it. So there's an element of purposefulness in that in investing. So I would say a sustainability investor wants to make money and avoid loss and create some sort of social environmental outcome, which is purposeful to them. So now doing good, does doing good cost? Does a sustainable investor expect himself or herself to be paying a a premium in terms of making less returns than the mainstream investor what have you seen i'm not i'm not talking just credit here like across the board typically 
what does a sustainable investor pay or does he actually gain so the so um sustainable investing is 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 relatively new um obviously and our sort of our sample size is relatively small but i think that they you know sustainable investors in sustainability also see this tremendous opportunity as well and not necessarily today but there is structural change happening in the economy right if we look at regulation um driving disclosure and providing incentives that's all relatively new um and certain jurisdictions aren't aren't you know are just you know sort of getting there value chains are shifting consumer pre- preferences are changing so i think that the sustainability investors see that sees that as investor opportunity i think the, the world economic forum has you know uh put a price tag of you know 10 trillion in opportunities in the transition to net positive natural capital world 400 million jobs so they're they're you know there's no you know they're looking for the same opportunity in aggregate in 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 micro i would say that um you know one way to measure this is with um sustainability securities so what's often returned, re- referred to as a greenium in these securities so these would be green bonds or social bonds um, that have a specific social environmental outcome earmarked to the, to those proceeds as a use of proceeds bonds and um, you know these securities actually um, have a bit of a, a, what we call a premium to the a greenium um, that, that benefits the uh, the company, but if you get those bonds at primary and they trade well and they have lower volatility, then that's a benefit to the investor. So you just mentioned green and social. So we we keep hearing this terminology SRI and uh, green bonds or green indices. So what are how are they different from ESG and sustainable uh, indices yeah, or right, funds? Yeah. So we're throwing we're throwing a lot of things together in here. So so let's parse out. So SRI socially responsible investing i would say was the prequel shall we say to this to the current movement in, in sustainability i think that so, so sri is driven is value ba- values based investing where you, where for whatever values based reasons whether it's re- religious or personal investor says that i don't want to be tagged i don't want to be um, invested in tobacco or alcohol or any other such such products. If you look at when SRI started and the growth of the green bond market and when it took off, it really didn't trigger the kind of movement we've seen now. Now we've seen over the last several years an enormous surge in, in, in these issuance, and that's partially driven by, again, momentum and regulation. So for example, all these conference of parties, so these are global um, meetings that, that create agreements and commitments by countries to decarbonize. These countries put in regulation that forces movement in the corporate space. Companies set targets to align with those regulations and align with the objectives. And that creates a green bond market where a company says, I, um, you know, we, we've set these targets and to get there from here to decarbonize, we're going to issue a security that will finance that transition. And there goes the green bond market. Social bonds have a similar effect. They, they particularly took off during uh, COVID. They haven't been quite as big a part of the market, I'd say 60% of the GSS market is green bonds, uh, much smaller is social. And then, of course, the recently launched sustainability linked bond market. So would I be right in saying that all sustainable funds are SRI, but not all SRI is sustainable? Or am I being too simplistic? Probably you could say that SRI funds, you know, lean towards sustainability, but it, I think it's you've been probably been a little bit uh, trying to draw specific definitions. I, I think it's not always that those pure values-based strategies will have the same sort of purposeful uh, objective and outcome. Okay. So, for example, to you know, I'm thinking of strategies that have a decarbonization objective, right. whereas simply 
just exclusions. But, you know, thinking about the market itself, you know, I'm curious to see what you've seen on the supply side, because, um, you know, certainly it's been it's been pretty dynamic. Right. The Bloomberg platform has a pretty massive uh, index franchise. And, you know, in addition to the mainstream indices in, in credit, we are talking, you know, the usual investment grade, high yield benchmark indices. Uh, we also have the full suite of, you know, sustainable ESG SRI indices. So just to for all for the purpose of our listeners. So to give you an idea of market sizes, so the Euro investment grid market, which you can say is the mainstream bellwether, is about 2.67 trillion. The Euro SRI, which Mitch has mentioned, will exclude some of the sectors, uh, you know, which you wouldn't like, whether it is alcohol or uh, oil and gas oh, and yeah. so on. We are looking at 2.2 trillion, which is not that dissimilar to the mainstream. And then you got this Euro ESG weighted. Now, the Euro ESG weighted is a bit of a different beast because it's got weightings not based on market value, but it is based on ESG scores and so on. So it actually has an implied outstanding actually more than the Euro investment grade. And then lastly, we've got the Euro green. Now, Euro green, unlike these, is very, very specialized. The bonds need to be specifically issued with a use of proceeds being for green purposes. And as a result, it tends to be very tightly defined. You got the total market outstanding of only 240 billion. Just to continue this, how are their characteristics? Now, the first three, whether it is Euro investment grade, the mainstream one, Euro SRI or the Euro ESG, all of them trade around the same spread, you know, not much of a difference because they are essentially the same as they have more or less the same candidates other than a few sectors. So, you know, spread-wise, they're between 150 and 155, very, very tight. Uh, durations are similar, so on and so forth. But the green, though, is different because it is small, very restricted. It's still heavily correlated, but because it's only 240 billion, it actually trades differently. It is 170 spread right now compared to 154 spread on the mainstream euro investment grade interestingly the market has turned from a green premium to a green discount now because i mean we will we'll discuss it in detail later on because the the names are different uh there is a bit more of triple b in green and so on so we do publish research on uh, green bonds a deck went out yesterday actually for the purpose of our listeners who have the terminal. Uh, but the point is, they all tend to be very highly correlated, even including green, even despite it being very small. Yeah, and I think, I think that's an excellent point because when the credit markets in general hit extreme volatility, sort of early last year, even during COVID, you immediately get questions, um, you know, aha, look, look at the green bond market. It's, it's in free fall. It's, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, and it's, and it's, 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 this is a bond market. It is governed by the same core fundamentals that the rest of the market is. So if you look at, you know, per your point, if you look at the indices for green bonds, they tend to be, they're higher quality indices. They are more vulnerable to rates moves um, than the high yield. And if you look at the, the, the sustainable high yield funds and indices and ETFs that are out there, they're outperforming because it's been, you know, a rate rise year and investment grade is underperformed high yield. There, you, you're, you're still within the fundamentals of the, of the fixed income market. There's no magic to that. Although 
uh, you know, what I've seen is that they tend that these um, markets tend to be a little less subject to a little less, little less volatility. That's certainly been the case in the funds, the dual objective funds that we manage and what I've seen out there. I think you touched upon them. These sustainability funds are naturally selective. And so the, they're going to be a little bit smaller um, than um, a, a typical mainstream fund. And that, and because of the sustainability purpose and and, and the objectives are governed by, there's a bit of tracking error because of some of the sectors they're, they're not in. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned high yield. Now, what we've, what we've noticed is, I know high yield is a smaller market, but it tends to be on the forefront of wall and in terms of any action in our markets. The amount of green bonds in high yield as a proportion is actually a lot smaller. The, the proportion of sustainable or ESG funds in high yield is also smaller. Any comment on why aren't we seeing a green slash sustainable, I mean, green yeah, bonds from I, high I, yield yeah. and sustainable funds in high yield? I, I beg to differ a little bit. I think we have some sustainable high yield funds. And so, you know, I just uh, sort of um, and, and you know, see good flows of demand. So I beg to differ a little bit. I think you're right. I think it is smaller and is it is um, in terms of the maturity cycle. It is it is further behind. But but this all you know kind of makes sense to me. First of all, many of these, a principal part of this market, they're they're, they're private companies. Correct. So they're not feeling that same kind of um, broad based public company expectations or demands that you expect in large public companies. Yeah. So there isn't that there. That's not, what I was trying to get to. Actually. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know. Yeah, you got me there. Well <laughs> done, you. I've seen you. I've like I said, long time listener, first time caller. I've seen you do that before. So, um, but I think you know, there's enormous um, engagement and stewardship pressure on these larger companies that that refers to constructive dialogue with companies to encourage them to reinforce their sustainability credentials less so with smaller companies and there are also issues with reporting and transparency regulation for larger companies doesn't isn't quite as um, strong as it's for smaller companies regulation on climate disclosure and other sustainability disclosures first come out for larger companies and smaller companies. Especially but, but, for private companies who probably don't correct, even need exactly. to disclose. I mean, I mean, you look at your European high yield market for a lot of the names, you have to you have to access information with an ID and password, you know, which <laughs> is correct. already a bit, you know, it's interesting. I think that companies tilting towards sustainability, you see you see it um, companies that have that recurring presence in the capital market, more willing to listen to bond to bond investors. You know, mm. and a private equity company, you know, have seven year financing, you know, terminal A or B, you're sort of five, five to seven years out. The company um, doesn't have quite the, the long term um, approach and sustainability that a uh, that a public company would have. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want to discount that. I mean, these are factors that maybe explain the delta, but I think there are quite a few sort of particularly in the double B single B B space and you know d double B higher quality single B space and, and the last thing I'll say in this is that there are two key ingredients for successful sustainability agendas. I think one is um, strong governance, so transparency, vision, long term view, communication with investors, and and another is credit quality. So even in sustainability funds that are high yield, you see a high quality bias because stressed and distressed companies clearly are not going to be, you know, they're trying to get to the Monday from the Friday. Correct. Uh, the low rated companies, I think, are more interested in survival, getting, exactly. to, the getting right. to the next coupon. Right. Which yeah. we, we, we want, you know, you know, we want sustainability agenda, but a company has to be alive in order to affect, you True. know, affect change. So, um, so there you go. You mentioned, uh, you, may, you put in a moniker, GSS bonds. Right. Can you explain what GSS means? I mean, there is yeah. so much of this jargon, right? Yeah. Oh, I want man. to. It's, uh, I want to. You know. Right. 
elaborate it for our listeners so that next time they face these, they know what we are talking about. So GSS re- refers to green, social, and sustainability. Ah. And we touched upon that a little bit. But um, And I, I think of that universe in, in two broad buckets, use of proceeds bonds, like green bonds and social bonds. And even there are some elements of green and social bonds, which are called sustainability bonds. Um, and those are... Um, those are securities where the use of proceeds is specifically earmarked toward uh, activities or or products or operation changes that have a greener social outcome. Now, there's a whole range of guidance and standards behind what good looks like. Uh, Ultimately, the objectives are up to the company, but the International Capital Markets Association, ICMA, has written and keeps revising and strengthening guidelines for what these bonds should look like. So there's a norm consolidated around that. Then there's also sustainability-linked bonds, or SLBs. That is a uh, general a GCP or general corporate purpose bond that doesn't take the proceeds and earmark them specifically to, um, say, projects. However, it sets objectives on a company um, to hit over a certain period of time. Um, and if they if, if, if they fail to meet that, then a, a lift in the coupon or other mechanism, other punitive mechanism will come into the security. So it's a way, it's more at the corporate level versus the project level. So it's sort of a best efforts basis. Well, we, we want it to be, you know, the targets to be ambitious and, and hit them. If they miss them, which you, if companies are ambitious, then I would expect 10 to 15% of that market to fail targets every year, you know, but, but we want to understand why. It doesn't necessarily mean that they've, you know, how many, taken, for out of curiosity, how many coupon step-ups have you seen as a proportion of the, the bonds which have them? Yeah, very, very, very small. I think we've seen, you know, less than five and maybe in the order of two to, you know, two to three. I mean, yeah. good, good old days, I'm sure Mitch will recall in the early 2000s, we used to have the telecom coupon step-up bonds. They were like the, the rage. Uh, Remember? Uh, yes. So sit, the... Sitting in research, we had to, you know, do some option model to price it and so Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Uh, there it was based on credit quality, but here it is based on sustainability. Well, it, well it's it's very interesting because the step up actually, uh, which is tends to be around twenty five basis points, and we that's a whole nother conversation whether that's right or wrong. I think a linear approach isn't appropriate, but nonetheless, that's a market norm. It actually emerged from um, step ups associated with uh, fallen angels. You remember yeah, yeah, high yeah, yield, particularly like, exactly. Correct. IG falls to high yield. Remember, sort of all those step all, the, all those yeah. you know, all those French European telecoms. That that tap, and that was actually the derivative, the, the foundation for that. Even though the principle is different, one is risk and cost of capital. Another, to me, is is like a speeding ticket. But yeah, in any case, you know, you have yeah, that. speeding tickets cost nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> well, that so to, maybe, yeah, maybe twenty five basis points should be a little bit bigger. Yeah. I think it should be actually. But I think re- it's, I relative. can understand why it is in twenty fives rather than like you know incremental because it's very difficult to administer. And also, you'll need to essentially look at it's, every coupon date for such. It's it's it is yes. And if you create more variable coupon step ups and step downs, then it becomes a problem to price. You have to, you, uh, you know, you have to think about probabilities and option exactly. pricing models. Yeah. The AFII has done um, Anthropocene Anthropocene Fixed Income Institute is some good work on around that. Yeah. Um, but yes, that market has actually took a bit of a slumber in the beginning part of this year, but it sprung back to life. September has been a monster month for these GSS bonds. Right. So that brings me to the demand side of it. So on these GSS bonds and related stuff, what sort of fund flows are you seeing? Not just GSS. Yeah. Let's talk big picture into sustainable funds, 
ESG right. funds, SRI funds, and uh, the ones that we spoke about just now. So let me give you a general picture. So the past several years, um, this th this market really took off uh, 19, 20 timeframe um, and moved, you know, shall we say in a, in a, you know, 45 degree angle, that kind of hockey stick move. Then um, with the um, rate moves last year, I mean, there was virtually no supply, there were virtually no flows. So year on year, the flows into the funds are actually up. But as I said before, this this market operates within the fund fundamentals of the market. But the GSS, so, so the, the sustainability themed market or the, you know, it, it had a very slow start um, to the year, but it's since then it's had a very strong, a very strong 2Q. And part of that is that I think like any growth market, you have this rapid growth that's a land grab. Then there are questions about quality, credibility, ambition, you know, ac accountability. And of course, um, there are politics around it as well. So all those factors came in and you get a, you, you get a, you get a, a pause and that that makes you know um sense to me so we saw a bit of a pause but now second half of the year um sort of into q and second half we're starting to see some pretty good numbers um you know so for example in the first half of the year 18 billion um into the into uh global esg funds um we, you know i've seen credit very, sorry credit thank you very much credit we're only talking credit we're now at a new record for aum for um, for these labeled strategies and funds at over 550 billion, I've seen numbers that go as high as six, 600 billion. Europe so the, so we are talking about three, three and a half percent as percentage of AUM. I think, the, I think, yes, I think roughly, I've seen numbers in that sort of mid to high, mid, mid single digit, you yeah. know, and it's, it depends on how you define things. Um, that, but that's about right. Five, six percent is what I've seen. So I'm going to, I'm going to amplify it a little bit. Okay. But, but, but if you look at, you know, break it down, I mean, Europe is even higher, nearly a 25% yeah. of, of funds in Europe have now some sort of sustainability tag to it. A lot smaller in the US, but there's still, there, there seems momentum seems to have come back after, um, you know, I, I mean, Mahesh, you might remember when the when the loan market coming up, people were talking about that the European high yield market was dead. It was all going to go to the loan market. And now look at the size now having once been sub 100 billion, you know. Yeah. So it's grown. Sadly, the high yield market well, has been has had a bit of a compression in terms of size this year. Because I, I know that's been a theme that you've in your writing and also in the podcast is that actually the sustainability funds market is actually growing. So there is yes. a market for you. And, you know, what a point to mention here is particularly when the markets are highly volatile the funds just seem to be just sticking to mainstream uh, but when the market calms down uh, then there seems to be a lot more attention to the green or sustainable credentials so in terms of fund flows we do publish a fund flow tracker for european credit every month high yield and investment grade this year investment grade has had a bumper year because everybody is figuring out no need to go down to the hairy parts of credit investment grade pays you like 4.7 to you know there was a time when it was even paying very close to five right right so investment grade saw pretty hefty flows you know i mean five six percent yeah yeah so mainstream is and is up to speed with credit but i'm is with green with green and is sustainable credit but i'm assuming if we if volatility comes down the the sustainable credit uh, sustainable funds will shine a lot more. Uh, yes, and I think you know if you look at the flow into sustainability funds versus mainstream funds as a percentage of AUM, 
it's it's higher. So there's a, mm. I mean, you'd expect that there's a secular tailwind. The market's smaller, so you'd expect the flows in, and it's yep. it should grow, you know, at these times at a relative relative faster rate, and particularly when we're made you know, we're constantly made aware of um, the consequences of rising temperatures and biodiversity loss and, 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 and the consumption of natural capital. Now, that brings us to a pretty uh, well-talked-about topic, including by the central banks, greenwashing. I think people know sort of what is greenwashing, but shed light on different ways stuff gets greenwashed. Right. So you get greenwashing on the bonds, but I think you also get greenwashed on the funds and is what we think is a sustainable fund. Is it really a sustainable fund? If it is a green bond, is it really green bond? How do how does a how does an investor or a market participant figure out that it is genuine and or or not? Right. So what is greenwashing? It's the exaggeration of ESG or sustainability um, credentials. Um, versus what what the reality is in the fund, the the security or the the company, and and it's also the the, the problem that you, that you um, describe is also related to what your your opening premise was is that there is a lot of terminology here and we don't even really know what we're talking about all the time sustainability ESG and all that is true which is why there's a raft of regulation now to set definitions around all of these and it's creating some norms in the market for what good looks like uh, you know setting aside that debate which again is another uh, another podcast. Let's just let's take f- for assumption that we're consolidated around some, you know, what what good looks like, and and through this this pause we've had in the market. I think this is necessarily a a qualitative endeavor, and it's just like when you you know this is you know I remember you know going to roadshows for European credits. Like we've got we're going to generate um, you know all this cash flow. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna squeeze working capital, but still manage to create our business growth. You know, you know. So but but then I would, you, then you have management meetings one on one, and you sit down and ask the questions. Okay, so you've set a target, a decarbon. You know, so 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 bring that over to the sustainability side for a company. There is a lot of pressure and interest to hang your sustainability shingles out. So you set targets. The questions are, how are you going to get there? Where's the OPEX? Where's the CAPEX? Do you have midterm targets? For investment funds, you know, okay, let's meet your sustainability analyst team. You know, how how have they been trained? How do they do the work? Is it proprietary? Is it forward-looking? These kinds of questions. So it's necessarily a qualitative endeavor. There's a, you know, early on, there was a quick grab for scores and and they they serve a role, but Ultimately, it's about talking to people and understanding how they're how, how they're doing it. So there's and of course regulation. They're now you know thresholds for regulations, and so that will set kind of a bar. But ultimately, it's about people and doing due diligence. So that's where like stuff like stewardship and so on come in. Stewardship is a broad term that refers to we think about engagement. So you know the idea of stewardship is that you are a financial stakeholder. Um, therefore, we have a right or an obligation to to to, to encourage a company to move in a way that's supportive of your investment. Um, so bondholders have, you know, we often think of that as shareholders, but I think bondholders have absolutely the right, if not the obligation for this, the, entering these constructive dialogues with companies on sustainability, because we're financial stakeholders. We want to see resilient companies. We want to see companies that are built, purpose-built for the future. Um, and, um, you know, it's in that dialogue that, that, that you understand that. We also, you know, for these companies that have a recurring presence in the capital markets, you know, we provide the lifeblood of a company. So there's a little bit of influence and dependence that, that's there. So that's on the company side. Yes. 
similarly there is a, is there a check on for example if there is like a pension fund trying to invest in sustainable funds or esg funds they is there like a check on them as well so that they are not the, are they meeting their green uh, allocations yeah so um in certain jurisdictions there's there's regulations about um for institutional investors on disclosure of risk exposure to say climate for example certainly mm. that's the case with insurance companies this is a big big interest of that exactly. so there's a so there's a motivate there's a there's a um, financial and fiscal motivation that drives that but it's a great question Mosh, because in certain jurisdictions pension trustees are i have a fiduciary duty for financial returns how does that meet with the, how does that meet with the regulation on on climate um and then so there's a, there's a whole raft of understanding how, where the two meet and then how to implement that um, so ultimately, for those institutional investors, it'll be the trustees that have to 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 de- determine um, how those objectives and 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 ob- the fund ob- the fund they're picking. But but, the- but but there's a whole there's there are consultants and fund advisors and fund analysts at all of these places that are providing due diligence on their clients and prospects like us through questionnaires and you know, management meetings um, to understand that there's real street cred in that sustainability structure, um, the the sustainability fund itself. Um, And that should, to your point, that that due diligence should lead up to the top. That's your insurance policy that actually the the proper work is being done. You didn't throw a a, a dart, you know, dart at a dartboard and hope it landed on the greenest uh, uh, sleeve. So that their investment is meeting the sustainable objectives they, all these investment funds now have sustainability analysts that you, you will meet when, when we present, we meet with heads of fixed income and heads of sustainability or, or fund analysts and ESG sustainability analysts as well. And they, this market has gotten so sophisticated. It's yep. not, do you do ESG? And it's not even, how do you do ESG? It's like, these are our targets. How are you going to get there? It's substantial. Pretty good to know. Yeah. So we've spoken about the demand side of it. Let's quickly talk about the supply side of it. So what, what sort of supply have you seen, particularly at the very top level, like sustainable bonds in credit or ESG uh, named bonds in credit over the years? I mean, I, we, we do track the green bonds. I can talk about it, but I leave the, the bigger picture once to you. Yeah. So going back to 2018, the CAGR, sort of the annualized growth rate is something like 40%. Hmm. Okay, this is I remarkable. Yep. I we've, mean, it's just remarkable. We, we've, been, we've been tracking this and, and we've published on it. And, yeah, he and, 40% is sort of about right. Okay. So so if my number matches yours then I know it's good and that's uh but but actually we're working with the same data. I'm using yeah. BNF. So, <laughs> yeah. so 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 at least my math is as good as yours, which is actually a miracle to be honest much. But I think, you know, but the 2021 time frame, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a cheat year because that was we had, you know, that's when we saw this massive surge and also that's when the sustainability linked bond market entered and went from 10 billion in one year to 100 billion in the, in the next year. Um, but, you know, year over year, so 2022, we know was a bit of a dud year for all flows because we had that the rate concerns and the market just kind of faded massively. But the resurgence is, is pretty meaningful this year, you know, year over year growth globally on an annualized number from July, we're at 16% year over year. And with Europe leading the way, we're about, about 25%. Uh, and green bonds, are super hot right now. I think you know um, in the first half of the year, the green bond issuance at nearly four hundred billion was a new record. Um, globally, glo- yeah. yes, thank yeah. you. Globally, and we're on a bit of a bit of a tear uh, there again. And I think I was shocked. This even the, the past ten days in September, 
the number of labeled securities in, in Europe, certainly, um, it's remarkable. It's, it's SLB, linked, green, green. It's it's really, I think it's come back a bit. So, so for the benefit of our listeners, if you want to track green corporate bonds, when you type in a ticker and then you uh, hit COP, you get a list of tickers and then you have a clear green leaf right next to it. Uh, so you can't go wrong, right? And I, also, I'm going to add to that. You also have, uh, when it's a sustainability linked bond, you've got the little sort of, there's a chain link by it to know that it's a sustainability linked bond and there's something for uh, what's called a blue bond, which is a bond to benefit water, water, the seas or rivers, that kind of thing. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So in terms of, uh, I mean, Mitch has mentioned, you know, how it has grown. I think to put it into perspective, what we try to do in general for all of credit is I tend not to be obsessed with issuance. There's more a bank thing. I tend to be, I tend to really care about net supply rather than gross supply. And net supply this year in Euro green, Euro green, 35 billion net supply on an index that was about 180 at the start of the year. So the index grew by about 17% net. We're not talking gross here. So that's quite substantial in an year when like high yield shrank, investment grade, net supply, pretty weak, one of the weakest we've ever seen. So green bonds have had a pretty strong year first half they they broke their growth streak in august i mean august people are on holiday of course uh, yeah. green bonds didn't didn't print first time we had a small shrinkage but i'm expecting that uh, you know the train to start at full steam yeah i, I think so i think uh, we've seen you know september is always a busy month everybody comes back from august um in primary and uh, i haven't done the math yet but i would i i would Bet that that portion of primary in September that's that's sustainably labeled is is pretty high and you're back back to growth. Yep, yep. Let's come to some uh, performance stats. So, did you notice any patterns of performance of these different shades that we mentioned uh, in your work and also you know your own sustainable funds versus mainstream funds? Yes. Okay. So, first of all, a bit of context. Okay. So, when we're talking about sustainability funds, as I mentioned, they're naturally a slightly smaller part of, of, the, of the mainstream universe. These tends to be funds that are um, X energy or very underweight energy, depends if it's a transition style fund. There, you know, maybe no gaming in Europe and gaming US is, is more acceptable. And they tend to be higher quality uh, relative. So these are kind of key factors that create some tracking error. And if you look at performance over you know, I mean, it's it's not even really a performance period. We're talking about two to three years is when some of these indices were, were really launched. Um, we've seen a couple of things happen. We've seen oil is, has been on a, a massive surge. Um, leisure and gaming is back up again. And also rates have been moving a lot higher. So it's had a, a little bit of an impact from, you know, from a performance point of view. So I think we've seen a little bit of underperformance r related to that. This year, I'd say year to date, you know, there's some, like I said, there's a little bit of modest underperformance. What's really interesting, though, is that the sustainability labeled bonds have, in, in the investment grade class have actually modestly outperformed the mainstream um, market. And so um, we don't have a lot of lot of history. I've done some a look at volatility. Vol volatility is, is absolutely no worse, and it's a little bit... Um, subdued in certain areas so from our analysis what we can see is you know particularly on the really big shades of sustainable indices that we mentioned whether it is sri or esg which are like more or less similar to the mainstream investment grade 
they tend to be very close but the key difference tends to be in the in the really small one which is green bonds and the performance pattern we've noticed is when the market wall is low you tend to have a clear green out performance when the market is very volatile you know putin the, the world is ending severe inflation blah 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 then i think market tends to just focus on mainstream uh, rather than funds chasing uh, i would think green so in highly volatile periods we've seen that pre green premium become a discount but and then it it keeps flipping depending on the, depending on conditions the, the premium comes back in periods of volatility the greenium when i say premium it means the yes. green spread is tighter than yes tighter than mainstream which is the case in in most of the times low volatility okay. rally etc etc but when it is selling off uh you have like a crisis banking crisis or you got invasion and so on i think at that time people are just obsessed about survival blah 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 and as a result you tend to have that that premium go into a discount which means right. the green bonds tend to trade at a slightly higher spread right okay uh volatility wise you know we tend to measure uh, the green spread correlation with mainstream most of the time it is 90% plus but once again whenever you tend to have yeah. crisis and so on the correlation drops the return correlation though you remember return is not just spread right you got the yield component you got the carry component right. so the return correlation tends to be even higher than the spread correlation so do you see do you, i mean i'm sure given you're managing so many funds and including mainstream do you do you do do you guys do any return attribution for the sustainable funds in terms of financial performance attribution sustainability performance attribution great question i think that um it's notoriously difficult as you know to do um attribution uh for for credit because um you know even setting aside the rate effect the curve effect and and and, and all that you have you know a spread effect okay well what drives spread credit risk what drives credit risk you know how do i know if whether some of the services can tell you is whether the credit spread is 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 moving because of operating risk or because of environmental risk and in a way it's it's kind of it's kind of all looped in but what i can tell you is that there there are a couple things here i think that um one governance um is an interesting element when i look at the performance of mainstream funds versus sustainability funds governance has an indirect but important effect so governance as i said before is kind of a requisite for good sustainability policy so if you have a sustainability fund that has you want companies that have sustainability policies well those companies will have good governance and good governance strong governance you know it doesn't guarantee those types of policies but i would say it's a requisite for it so at the same time if you look at the companies that you know fail many of them and then again not all of them they tend to have poorer governance hmm. so on the one hand you have the the funds tend to be higher quality um and that creates some element of tracking error but you have fewer names that tend to be volatile and fall out so you get a performance uplift um from from, from that Trump's. but you know this is credit it's a, it's a it's a loser's game right you want to avoid it's like know, good karma it's like good karma the other thing is of course um you know if you look at high yield you know energy is a pretty meaningful um 
part, particularly if you in the US. global in the US, in, the US. in global in the Europe, Europe less not so, so much, not yeah. less so, but it's still there. Um, utilities in the US, that's, utilities tend to be in investment grade tend to be so massive. The, yeah. That's a massive, right? And then of course banks and in, in IG in particular, but you you know that's a massive part of the sector. So if you're if you're going to turn toward the higher um, the more sustainability banks, this creates a bit of tracking error. Mm. And so to my point, when you know energy's on fire no pun intended, or when you see a trash rally, it's triple C's, that's where you see elements of tracking error. The last topic, and I believe the most important topic, is regulation. So how are you seeing regulation evolve in this area? Because I think we discussed how rules governing, you know, what a company should be, rules governing what a fund should do to invest in such companies. So what? who are the gatekeepers? And what are the sort of rules, how are they evolving? Also shed some light on, you know, name some regulations that everybody should be aware of. Right. So what is regulation trying to achieve? I think I think two things definitely in a third in certain jurisdictions. One is transparency on risk, and that's happening globally. So climate risk, sustainability, all, you know, never say all. Most regulatory authorities are moving toward better disclosure related to climate and sustainability factors. The second thing is consistency. Regulators want reporting on these uh, items to be consistent, labels or identifications and understanding definitions to be fairly consistent in their in their jurisdiction of regulation. So there's quite a bit of regulation going through that. And the third is perhaps a bit more controversial because it, it kind of plays through more in, in, in fiscal policy than in regulation, but it's still there is that it's actually you know, tilting the economy toward, you know, doing good, you know, uh, not consuming natural capital in a linear way, because doing so in perpetuity means there's nothing left. Yep. And that is systemic risk. That is a massive systemic risk. I, I think regulation has got that in, in mind in, in certain jur jurisdictions. In the US, it's more incentive led with the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act of a few years ago, uh, last year, perhaps, um, that creates tax incentives to invest in hydrogen or solar, these kinds of things. In Europe, you have a combination of uh, carrot and stick regulation um, mm. that begins to make it more painful to be highly carbon emitting, but also creates incentives um, uh, for tilting the economy towards sustainability. And the IRA in the US set the kind of you know arms race on, on that uh, type of regulation. But the European Union is, is, was the first out of the gate. 2017, they, you know, put out principles for a Green Deal, Green Finance Plan in 2019. It was codified. We now have an alphabet soup of regulation that um, that that requires uh, disclosure. Of course, anyone listening from Europe will be familiar with Article 8 and Article 9. These are disclosure regulations that if you call your fund a certain you know, if you if you file under that article of uh, article later on, then you have certain level of disclosure that that's required. They've evolved into labels, which has frustrated some, so that be looked at. But that's SFDR. Then companies are having disclosure requirements. That's CSRD, which shouldn't be confused with CDSR, which I googled when I googled that came up. <laughs> so um, you know, the ISSB, the International um, Sustainability Standards Board, has just released disclosure standards on uh, general sustainability risks as one, and then two on climate risks that's predicated on the TCFD. And then ICMA described as a very important um, a, a provider of standards for uh, green bonds, social bonds, and sustainability linked bonds. They also provide great principles 
to build one's own framework. Um, and, and all the investment banks will use those frameworks when they are designing securities and talking with companies how to create the GSS bonds. In the U.S., um, the SEC is embarking on two tracks. Um, you've got, so there's something in, in America called the names rule that if you name your fund under something like ESG, then 80% of the securities within that fund need to qualify as ESG. That's good so, to know. So, so in that, there's, you know, so they've got sort of three classes within those classes in this potential regulation is ESG integration versus ESG focused. They're also proposing disclosures on climate. Again, um, TCFD based that I think we're expecting something next month in terms of the rulemaking. There's a, there's a chance that there'll be um, challenges from uh, legal challenges to, to that, to those, that bit of rulemaking, but it's momentum moving in the right direction in Asia. ASEAN has got regulation uh, on disclosures. Uh, so you see it, you see, it, you know, sort of this global momentum, which is why, you know, back in a way to the beginning of the podcast, where is the sustainability investor interested in invest in, resilient companies that take into consideration that with this kind of wholesale rulemaking making happening, the economy has, will, will tilt in that direction and sustainability embedded in companies is, 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 is you know, pivoting to that and provisions for that. Hopefully it becomes second nature soon. Absolutely. Because um, as I mentioned, um, you know, from a systematic risk, from a systemic risk point of view, you'll know the difference between systematic and systemic risk. I never yep. get it right, but I'm just going to say systemic risk. You know, all the science, the science is the science. We are consuming natural capital in a linear way. Uh, emissions are moving up in, in a linear way. These need to be addressed or the ability to create economic value for growing populations that have a right to better lives and prove the way they live won't happen. We need to find a way to grow the economy and decouple from linear consumption. Otherwise, we won't be able to do it. It's for our children and grandchildren. Hence, I think that's the idea. Yes. But as all listeners know, just like an Apple event, there's one more thing, which is a rapid fire. So you're going to get questions and you're going to give me a quick answer. So rest of the year, Euro investment grade or Euro ESG? Which one will will have more returns? What's your view? Euro ESG. Euro, you have to say that, <laughs> isn't it? Now, um, Euro ESG or Euro Green? Now we are being very specific. I think Euro ESG because you think it is broader. And yes. Yeah. Exactly. I think that benefit of diversification is pretty high. Yes. U.S. Sustainable Credit or Euro Sustainable Credit? Total return measured in dollars. They're probably US. Is it because of the FX? Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, sustainable stock investing or sustainable credit investing? Oh, sustainable credit investing. No, That's an easy that. one. <laughs> Come on. So on that very high note, uh, thank you listeners uh, for being with us on this reasonably long, but I think quite enriching uh, podcast. Uh, it'll be with you on the terminal and on Spotify, Apple, as of, and Google as always. All research and data on European credit markets are on our dashboard B-A-S-T-R-T-E on the terminal. Please await our next podcast in October on the Q4 Investor Survey and, uh, and Outlook, which is a quarterly uh, podcast and hopefully all of you will be part of it. And thank you, Mitch, for enriching our knowledge on sustainable credit and everything else and Absolute. demystifying it for us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Always good to chat, Mahesh. 
pleasure see you all next time in october